could have uh, decided to do um, water skiing this weekend. <laughs> you might be wondering, why am, I, why am I here? Why am I not on the yacht? <laughs> I remember um, going on a retreat one time, and in the, the form that we fill up, it was written, uh, why, are you, why are you coming here? You know, that kind of something about the intention. And I remember writing, because nobody will do this work for me. <laughs> I cannot actually pay somebody to do this for me. I have to do it. There's only me who could do this for me. You know? And I, I really feel, uh, very feel uh, that it's absolutely true, that the clearing of the heart or the clearing of the confusion, misunderstandings about life has to needs time, you know, needs attention. It's not just going to happen by watching TV, you know. It needs a particular um, care, you know. And uh, and that's what I understand that we're doing here this weekend. You know? And so when we, um, when we uh, have the intention to pay attention like this, even if we feel like we're kind of a semi-failure or complete failure at it, you know, like many people will report, you know, like I try but like my mind keeps going, you know, but just having the intention to be attentive, to uh, to notice what is actually happening uh, in reality and in the mind, you know, by having this intention, a lot is being revealed, have you noticed, you know? A lot of the tendencies of the mind are revealed. It's not easy to uh, uh, discover uh, a bunch of it. You know, some of it is good news, but there's a lot of bad news in this practice. You know, <laughs> it's very humbling. We were saying this morning with someone, you know, very humbling, almost humiliating. You could say, you know, uh, it's the mind misbehaving again and again. There's an image that I like very much from the old text, an image used by the Buddha apparently. Of um, uh, you might have, you might know this image, but uh, you would have to imagine in the room like this one, or in the, on the field here in the grass in front there, uh, imagine a very long, thick uh, rope, long rope, and at one end you would have. Um, maybe a crocodile tied to the rope and a little bit further you would have a hyena tied to the rope and a dog and a snake and uh, um, a monkey and uh, an eagle did I name six? that was my goal anyway, yeah? you counted? <laughs> so there would be these, these uh, six animals tied to the r- same rope and, you know, the hyena would want to go to the charnel ground, and the dog to the city, and the snake in the grass, and the monkey in the tree. And if there was an elephant in there, it would want to be go in the jungle, and the crocodile in the swamp, you know. And, and they would be all pulling, and it would be a big mess, you know, a dangerous mess. You know, so the Buddha was using this image, talking about the senses, and how the senses are pulling us in all kinds of direction when there's no kind of, a, some kind of, dare I use the word, mastery over the mind, you know, over the whole system. 
you know, that it goes in all directions. So it could be that you're sitting here and there's a moment of hearing, that's the crocodile, let's say, and the hearing of this, and then you're like, but why am I not on the yacht, on the river, you know? Why am I in this miserable place? <laughs> so that's like the crocodile kind of pushing in one direction, you know, and the next thing you know is there's a sensation in the knee, and then like, they're going to have to cut my leg because of this retreat, you know, and, <laughs> and that's pulling in that direction. And then there's a thought that I'm not a, I'm a bad meditator because I shouldn't be with the yacht or with the n- thoughts about the knee, you know, I should really be here. And that's another of the animal pulling in another direction. Do you recognize your lifestyle? <laughs> in there? Maybe not. Maybe not. I recognize some, some of my lifestyle in there, you know. And the Buddha says, so bringing mindfulness is really like taking care of the animals that you live with. And it's, it's like if you were to give a post, a very strong post, and one rope to each one. You hear. And at the beginning, the elephant, crocodile, you know, is going to going to fight, you know, it's going to... And at some point, we'll, we'll understand, oh, this is my little pasture here. This is my little field, you know. And then it will be able to quiet, and then you can take care of their health and feed them, and you know, and maybe cut the rope and give them a larger field, you know. And if they... <laughs> you know, so you might like the image or not, but that's kind of... The, that's what we would be doing here, is to help uh, calm the senses down, you know, and and uh, not have them uh, take over, you know. Something I was referring to this morning that happens, and you might see this in the, in practice, and I like actually seeing it. I was I'm describing it uh, just now. It's uh, what this word in Pali is papancha, papancha. I think it's a good sound for what it describes, papancha. Papancha is the <laughs> is the proliferation in the mind, the mind that makes stories with stories and stories, and you know you have one one thing that is heard, a little a second of contact with reality, and there's a conception. In, like I was here the other day, there was a sound. I don't know if you remember, and I said the the garbage truck. It was not a garbage truck; it was a vegetable truck. I think. <laughs> But so this is how the mind functions. So there's a little moment of, and I'm used to where I teach on Tuesday and Wednesday evenings. Every I, I teach at seven thirty. At eight o'clock, there is a garbage truck coming. <laughs> every every week, and sometimes there's a lot of garbage right behind the <laughs> where we. Sometimes there's not much, but you'll hear the. <laughs> it's part of the dance of the class, you know. And so when I heard the truck, there was in my mind. It, presented a perception, there was a perception, an image was stuck to it. I was like, this is a garbage truck, you know. And uh, so you see how my concept, my idea, is one feet aside from reality? I, I might take this to be true. Then the next thought is going to be based on false stuff. Imagine the third thought. Like we're getting further and further away from reality. And I spend my day thinking, you know. And so that 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 that's how we build our life. And you might think of well, you might, you know, make these kind of perceptive mistakes, you know, of taking a vegetable truck for a garbage truck, Pascal. But I don't, I'm pretty acu- accurate, you know. 
in the practice that we do, we question we question all perceptions. We we get we have to get really very attentive to see, for example, how there's a story of moi being built. This seems really real. I am like this. I'm no good, you know. It appears to be really, or I'm the best, you know. It appears really real, but the more we look at it, the more we start to discover that actually our perception are really very much linked to the mind state we're in. Throw a little happiness in my mind, and then everything will be fine. Throw a little pleasantness in my mind, and you have to stay forever. I will love you forever. You know, just because this moment is particularly touching or pleasant, I'll project in the future. You know, and so bring a little uh, discouragement. There might have been some rolling around in the room today. You know, and then you know the whole future looks glim. You know, or the whole self, or the whole endeavor, or the you know. And then bring a little something else for a moment, and then I want to become a monk or a nun, you know. This is my path, you know. And it va- do you have you noticed some variations like this? So to clarify this, one has to be really attentive, because otherwise it's taken to be reality. You see somebody, they look like somebody you've known who's been a little nasty to you, and, you know, there's a moment of noticing, like, oh, I know that type. I'm going to stay away from that kind of... I, I know, I know how they are, you know. Only to discover at the end of the retreat that they're the sweetest thing, you know. They're a little scattered, you know, but they're very sweet. <laughs> so, perceptions like this. So one of the things that happen is that our mind state, uh, some of them are difficult to be with, but that's not the only thing. If it was the only thing already, that would be a challenge. Some mind states are really difficult to be with, you know. But they alter our experience of reality. They alter our perception, even of time, you know. It was so interesting. There was so much interest, curiosity in the mind. I can't believe this was a 45-minute sit. It looked like, it felt like a 10-minute sit, you know. I'm so confused. I don't know what is practice. Like this... 45 minutes sit is dragging. Now it's becoming two and a half hours. You know, I have to ring the bell myself. <laughs> you must be sleeping, you know. So, so some emotions are difficult to feel and they alter our perceptions. Perceptions of ourselves, or of time, of the situation, of, what's, of the future, of the past. We have no shame. We can rearrange the past with one mind state. It was all good. There was no problem about it, you know. It was all the way it was meant to be, you know, because there's some relaxation, some malleability <coughs> in the mind. You look at something difficult of the past, and suddenly it's not so. It's, it has its place in the f- in the story. You know, you're a little tense. Something's happening that is uh, threatening, and then you see the past. It's the same like in the past. I'm never going to get out of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And so. Um, and so partly what we do is we sit here, we quiet the mind as much as possible, and we start to be able to be with uh, the different 
magic show is one of the images that the Buddha was using. It appears like this, you know, it appears like this. Now that the mind is uh, quiet or grateful or easeful or playful, you know, semi-waps, the reality appears in a certain way, you know. Everything is possible, everything is okay, you know. It's going to be okay. It presents a magic show like this. The freedom is the capacity for us that we develop to be in different appearances. It appears like this. It appears like this. Can I be relaxed in that appearance right now? And not take it for reality, you know. Whichever version arises, I can actually be relaxed into it. Oh, sweet. Sweet version of reality, you know. Oh, not so sweet, sour version of reality, you know. And there might be some kind of steadiness. There's an equanimity. Equanimity is one of the highest um, Buddhist uh, quality in the Buddhist psychology. The equanimity is the mind that is balanced. It doesn't fall in the extreme of, uh, you know, despair or reactivity, doesn't f- of wanting more, fearing losing. It, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing quality, and we get to experience it at different times in our life. It's very, if we didn't have a little equanimity, believe me, we would not, not have made it to here today. You know? It would not have been possible. So it's there. It's something we have. It's not something like, ah, let me one day... In ten lifetimes, be equanimous. You know, it's something that is is experienceable here and now, and we do experience it. It's good to recognize when it's there. Um, but uh, the, so that's equanimity, and there's an equanimity phrase that I've repeated a lot for me to correct a wrong understanding that I found that I had of reality. So the phrase that I've said many many times is. My happiness doesn't depend on the circumstances. It depends on my response. My happiness doesn't depend on the circumstances. It depends on my response. How am I holding what's happening? It doesn't, just like a footnote, or some some little asterisks, like something there, I want to say. It doesn't make... Uh, it doesn't mean that everything has to be acceptable and taken as it is. It is it's to rebalance the, my, maybe the r- belief I have that the circumstances will make me happy. Because the circumstances, the more quiet I get, the more attentive I get, I might find this is one of the other bad news, which is not that bad when you look really deep, more deeply at it, but what I might find with attention is that the circumstances will never provide completely. They will never be satisfying. It's not possible for circumstances to be, uh, to provide satisfaction. Maybe, uh, uh, what would be the word? Momentary satisfaction. Okay, I will allow that. (laughs) <laughs> but complete satisfaction not possible because the circumstances are conditional it depends on what weather it depends on the friend getting the message and showing up at the right place they depend on 
You know, they depend on the Big Bang. Well, that has happened, that's done. But they depend, circumstances depend on millions and millions of things. They're shaky in this way. They're dependent, changing, conditional. And so, even if you find the best job, it's probably not going to be completely satisfying. Because you might lose it, because somebody else might come in the team that you don't like as much as the other that were on the team. Because there might be this little thing that if it was just that little bit, it's almost perfect, but there's the fact that it's just a few miles too far, you know, or, you know, and do you re- can you recognize some of this? That, you know, I wanted a child, you know, then I get the child and then I fear for their safety. Are they going to grow healthy? Mm-hmm. Oh, suddenly it's shaky. Even that, that was going to be perfect, you know. And it comes with certain amount of stress, you know. Anything. And again, ehi pasiko, do not believe me, check for yourself. But that is the seem to be the Buddhist teaching, is that things are a little shaky all the time. And it's not going to come from the circumstances. Because that person can go. That other person can come, and when they're not invited or expected, you know, <laughs> and they might stay around, <laughs> you know. And so, in this way, my happiness doesn't dis- depend completely on the circumstances. It depends on my response, on my capacity to be there, to hold it, to care for it, you know. Being equanimity is also the capacity to recognize what conditions I have, um, I can change or maintain on what, what, where is my control, you know, the limits of my control, and the capacity to act on this. That is the beautiful um, AA prayer um, of like, you know, uh, the serenity prayer. It's, uh, somebody knows it here really well, but <laughs> it would be very self-revealing, <laughs> maybe, too. Uh, so there's three parts to it. There's one, like, it, it addresses God. Here we don't tend to address God. We, we, we tend to take responsibility. Let me cultivate my mind so that I can recognize what, where I, I have control and where I have agency, you know, and act on it, you know, and let me have the discernment to recognize where I have no agency, where it's not, I'm not going to control it here, you know, and accept that, you know, and have the wisdom to know the difference between the two, you know. And so that would be a beautiful description of an equanimous mind. Uh, so it, so equanimity is, uh, we can see maybe in this, or I can see in this, that equanimity is born out of wisdom. It's not okay, now I'll be equanimous from now on. You know, it's not just a thing of will, you know. I can, I can have the desire to gain equanimity in my life, but it's going to be, it's going to come out of a deep understanding of how life is, the nature of life, the n- human nature. For example, when I really get to see that circumstances are fluctuating, changing, conditional, Shaky, that's a word that Buddha would have used in Pali. You know, it's, it's uncertain. That's Ajahn Chah, another really uh, respected, venerated uh, 
teacher, he would say, things are uncertain. It's uncertain. And it's uncertain externally and internally. We don't know exactly what mind state will arise, how the body will feel, you know. Constantly when I uh, do conversation with students, they say, oh, so today is very different. It's a little surprise, you know, like yesterday was like that, today, I don't understand. It's usually like yesterday was horrible, today is quite good, or the opposite. Yesterday was quite good, I'm a little surprised, today is lousy, <laughs> you know, it's horrible, <laughs> you know. So it's shaky, it's uncertain. And so the more we become aware of this, you could say, like, you could be sitting there, it's like, oh my God, this is leading straight to depression and giving up, and, uh, <laughs> you know. But strangely enough, it's, that's not why it's meant to be there or discovered. It's meant to, for us to know exactly rea- reality in its own terms and drop the expectation, like, why is reality against me? Well, it's not against you. It's just shaky for pretty much everybody, you know. It's, it's uncertain. And so when we uh, become more aware of this, you know, the shakiness, for me, it's like I like this. Like I, I have a calm mind, I go to walk, I start walking, everything is fine, and then suddenly some memory comes, like uninvited, you know. And it's grasp, grasp me like this, like, and that happened, and it's unresolved, you know. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I was all fine, you know. It's uncertain what's going to happen. My well-being depend on my, depends on my response. Oh, okay, so heart heavy now. Heart light of an hour ago, heart a little heavy now. Can that be okay? Can, that be, can we live with that for a moment? In this way, I don't build on it. I don't tense around it. I learn how to hold, you know. And all the different techniques that we're learning here, how to move away from maybe put attention somewhere else to bring some of this balance, you know. So it's through paying attention to the senses that will becoming really very attentive that we'll see the passing nature, the unstable nature of this reality, the fluctuating, transforming nature. It's by being very attentive that we can see it in a more subtle way, in a more refined way. And then we we gain understanding that kind of spreads. The word that is used uh, usually is um, it's inferential. When I'm when I'm really there for one moment of uncontrollability, something switches that I didn't decide, didn't invite, and I can really... Live, I, it becomes inferential. I understand that it's going to be like this for, for pretty much everything. So it will require of me a level of acceptance that is probably deeper than the level I wanted to offer life. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to accept it to a certain degree, and for the rest, I'm going to just pick it outside. Like, I'm not going to be happy until things are stable, you know. <laughs> but coming here, maybe we'll go, okay, well, maybe I can find some happiness even with instability. So let go of that, you know. Is it depressing what I'm saying? <laughs> can we hold that? 
So as we have the intention to pay attention, these kinds of things are revealed. You know, it's being revealed. The tendencies of the mind that are unhelpful are being revealed. I can learn to let go of them, learn to not feed them. Oh, this is not helping me to kind of like get all like, no, I don't want this. You know, well, okay, it's happening. Let me feel it then, you know. And then, oh, this is helping me along, you know. So what is also revealed is the beautiful qualities of mind, what is truly helpful, what is aligned with reality, what is an appropriate response to what is happening, you know. I cannot control the yacht on the river. You know, I can have opinions about it. I could, you know, why do they do retreat at this time of year? Why do they allow people in that kilometer? You know, they should have fences on the river for meditators. You know? <laughs> like I can, you know. And the other version could be after a few minutes to just actually hear the sound. You know, oh, maybe unpleasant for some of us, you know. Disturbing. Disturbing is like this. Can that does have to be a problem? No. You know, it can be just like that. So the equanimity is one of the the it doesn't appear like this maybe like you're kind of sitting, walking, sitting or avoiding sitting, avoiding walking, avoiding <laughs> your, whatever you're doing, you know. But the idea would be to be developing this amazing quality <coughs> of mind. That's what we that's one of the things that maybe unknowingly we're developing here, the capacity to meet what is there, you know, with a stable mind. So that's there's a few amazing qualities of mind that it's good to know about. When I teach, I often talk about these qualities of mind. There's the, what do they say? They're, they're the limbs, the limbs of awakening. The limbs of awakening, the whims, the limbs <laughs> of freedom. So this equanimity is one. The quietness is another the mind that gets a little bit less discursive, a little bit less papancha-ik, you know, that is really not making stuff out of things, but is really hearing what is hearing, feeling what is... This quietness is extremely important. You know, I was talking with somebody recently, and we were talking about work and in the workplace, how the mind maybe can create a lot of trouble, you know, if something happens and I go from uh, my office to the copy machine and the whole time, like, I can't believe this. they're asking this for me and I can't, you know, like, I can create a lot of stress for myself. Another version is to go from the desk to the copy machine feeling the feet and the stepping, 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 and then maybe releasing a lot of stress and tension, you know. So bring some quietness, inviting quietness, I feel like I, I, I do this here. In the, if my stress goes a little up, like, oh, I have to give an hour talk to people, and some people are probably much more intelligent than me, and, you know, like, and then it becomes really important that I'm there as I'm stepping down the stairs, you know. Because I, as I step, 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 steps, I kind of regulate the system, <coughs> and then it becomes more open, more quiet, Then I can show up here, not in my ideas about you hating me and you not understanding what I say because of my 
poor English, or, you know, it's just can regulate, calm down, calm down. It's going to be helpful for my work, you know. So these qualities, these limbs of awakening, they're good for awakening, but they're good to learn skills. They're good to bring in the relationships that we have. They're good for community life. So, so that's kind of what we're exploring here. How can we cultivate calm, equanimity, concentration, the, unifi- the mind that really lands somewhere and is able to you know, not an, an attention that is superficial, that just lands for a second, but that is more like a, sometimes the image used of this kind of attention is like a cork on the surface of the water. You know, the attention that we want to bring here is an attention of great quality that can more like, more like um, a sponge, like water in a sponge, like suffuse experience really get to know, feel the breath, not just like, yeah, I'm breathing. I've been breathing for many years. I know, I know. I'm breathing. <laughs> what is this experience? It's more like also like a rock falling at the bottom of the water, you know, it, an attention that goes into things, that enters a phenomena, that really feels it well, can feel the joy, not just, oh, I'm joyful, I got joyful, it's done, you know, or... You know, something like, oh, joy, hold on, what is joy? You know, oh, fear, fear. One teacher I work with, she said she was uh, ex- experiencing a lot of fear, maybe because of trauma in her life and stuff, a lot of fear. And she brought amazing mindfulness to fear, so much so that she said, I can easily talk to you about 15 kinds of fear the piercing one, the paralyzing kind of fear, I know them well. I know them from inside, not with fear of fear. I this one too I know, you know. But I can I can I can keep my ground in the middle of a fear and feel it. Feel it really well. This movie um, documentary Dharma Brothers. It's really good uh, people in the really high um, security prison. I don't know, thousands of men in there, I think. Very violent, Alabama, difficult prison to be in. They do these meditation retreats like we're doing. And one guy in the documentary says, every day I get to, I find myself in a situation, in circumstances where there's great fear or great rage. And before, it would make me act in certain ways that were really dangerous for my life, you know. And now, because of this practice, I can actually feel these really strong emotions. I can really feel them and be there totally for them. And I can still see who is where, what they're saying, what is the best thing to do or not do to co- to de-escalate the situation that we're in, you know. And so that is the, 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 what a quiet mind, equanimous mind, a concentrated mind, a mindful mind can do. The other limbs are curiosity. I've talked about this this weekend. You know, bring curiosity to what's happening, even if you didn't choose it, even if it's not what you prefer. Is it possible? Sometimes not possible. Sometimes possible. Let me be curious about this thing. You know, 
you're walking and you would be done but nobody's ringing the darn bell you know Can, is it possible to bring curiosity instead of reactivity you know, to what is happening to the mind state or to the feet again we discover in this practice very clear to me that curiosity is a good friend being curious about what is happening you're in a conflict at work how, curi- how interesting is that that we do not understand each other right now let me be very attentive to these people who don't understand each other you know. and in another situation oh look at that how attuned we are Like there's a, it's really flowing like I hardly have to talk this person is really understanding where I'm going right now you know there's attunement or some, something is happening let me really feel this so that's the curiosity that's the mindfulness that is applied to not just sitting or walking it's applied to living life you know this curiosity in time turns into enthusiasm like I really want to be there even for the difficult stuff you know? it's, a, it's beautiful how it uh, evolves like oh let me feel this oh, yeah, I know that one I really know that one now like I just shrunk I was like oh shame shame let me let me let me even feel this one shame or not wanting to exist So now I, wanted, I want to have not said what I said. <coughs> I want to not be who I am right now. Let me feel this well. You know? So one of the things I wanted to do uh, today is to... Um, to also kind of try to name again the whole range of what we could be aware of, what we can be aware of. So, mindfulness of what? Yeah? That's very central in this practice that we... I mean, I'm going to end up naming everything, basically, but so that, here's the punchline. <laughs> but uh, in the text, there's a, the Buddha spent a, a good amount of time telling his... Uh, students what can you be aware of what where do you want to put your attention that it's going to be helpful for you <coughs> so i think that that's that's an important one here a lot of the time where we put our attention you might agree with me or not is that where i put my attention is what i would have liked to happen i can put a lot of attention on this who i would like who else i would like to be or how i would like to be better or you know Or the other. I can spend a lot of time thinking how the other could be different. You know? <laughs> Give a lot of attention to this. You know? A lot of attention to... Um, yeah, things like this. You know? Scenarios and stuff. And the Buddha said, well, there's other things maybe that you would want to put attention on. And we've, that's what we've been talking about this weekend, but I want to name it maybe more systematically. So, he seemed to have said, you know... Putting attention on the body could be a really good idea. There's many, many liberating discoveries you can be, you can do by being attentive to the body. And there's many forms it can take, many ways to be attentive to the body. So one of the ways that I've named here this weekend is being attentive to the posture. When you're sitting, can you know that you're sitting? How many times are you sitting and 
you know everything else but the fact that you're sitting. Do you see what I mean? That I'm sitting to write, I'm sitting to talk, I'm sitting to eat, I'm sitting to complete this task, you know, but are you aware that their sitting is happening? For us, it would think like, well, that's the last thing I want to know because I have things to do, you know. And the Buddha, great, wise being, apparently, would say like, hey, no, look the other direction. Be attentive to the other stuff that is happening. Be attentive to the fact that you're in a certain posture, that you're sitting, that you're standing, that you're walking. That's why this weekend I was like, oh, let's go walk and be aware that walking is happening. So the Buddha seemed to have said, this is something of high, high value, being attentive to the body in its posture or in the sensations, tingling, pulsing, pressing, pressing really hard, piercing, you know, uh, tingling, uh, I mean, all the different moving, fluidity, the rigidity, the hardness, the softness, the roughness, so that's a particular way that we can be attentive to the body. Another way, are you interested in that? The different places to put attention? Posture, sensation, senses. <laughs> senses. Hearing is happening. Seeing is happening. That's a practice in itself. Seeing. Often we see to get information, but being aware that sight is happening that there's a sensitivity to light, to colors, shapes, that seeing is happening. So you could just sit after the meal today, just sit there, and just not like, oh, the river is so beautiful, I love the birds. Not so much that, but being aware that seeing is happening. Look at that. There's a river of seeing that is happening. There's always this river is flowing, river of seeing. Even if you look at the same carpet, it's a river-like thing. It keeps seeing, seeing, seeing. Yeah. So the senses is one other way to be aware of the body. The activities of the body. That's where I say there's three things. There's sitting, there's walking, and then there's the daily activities. So the Buddha was saying, be aware of bending, reaching, lowering, like all these things, it's a good thing if you're aware of this. And in his description, it's really thorough. He's not afraid of naming everything. So he says, you know, your mindfulness can, it can be there when you're defecating. Oh my God, what did I say? He says that, like, that's a good place to be attentive. You go to the bathroom, be there. Because you could be lost in who you could be and what should happen. And, but, you know, feel what is being felt there, you know. Or as you're taking your shower, daily activity, feel feel it. Somebody was describing that their best moment in the retreat was that they were there <coughs> while they were showering and shampooing their hair, and that it was an unusual thing to do, not to shampoo, but to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, the, so that's the whole area of the body. And then one other area, a whole other universe... And it's linked, they're kind of linked together, but one other universe that I've named a lot is the kind of universe or aspect of your experience of the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. He says, 
pay particular attention to this because it makes you say a lot of things. It makes you do a lot of things. It makes you react a lot. It makes you create stories a lot because it's pleasant or unpleasant or neither one or the other. So as you go along your day, be attentive to the pleasantness of a taste, the unpleasantness of a word. Like, feel it. Oh, this is unpleasant to be here in this elevator right now with unknown beings so close, you know. It's unpleasant. And then the door will open, and then you'll see the unpleasantness disappear. Oh, learn about the fact that pleasantness ends, and that pleasantness also ends. In this way, we won't get so crazy about pleasantness, because we'll know it ends. And as Damadina, I was naming Damadina in one group this morning, saying she was really, really wise being at the time of the Buddha. The Buddha would say, you have a question, you can ask Damadina. Whatever she says, I, I would probably say the same thing. She knows her stuff. You know? And one time she was having a conversation with her ex-husband, 2,500 years ago. <laughs> and they had separated because they wanted to practice and become monks and nuns. And at some point he meets her and he says, tell me something about pleasant and unpleasant and all this whole field that the Buddha talks about, something that I might not know. So this morning in one group I said one thing she said, and here I'm going to say another thing she said. She said, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but pleasant, when it ends, it's unpleasant. (laughs) And unpleasant, when it ends, it's pleasant. (laughs) I'll leave you with that. <laughs> and you know, you would think like, oh, well, that's pretty, uh, that's nothing. Well, uh, if you really consider this, <laughs> it has a lot of depth, you know, because it means one contains the other, you know. And so it's a little bit like in terms of satisfaction. Can it be satisfying? No, because it ends, you know. And it's truly enjoyable. There's a real gratification. We really know that when it's pleasant, it's not unpleasant. You know, it is really pleasant. That's why it gets its own name, you know, <laughs> because it's enjoyable, you know. And so there's nothing wrong with this. It's not that we have to fear this or not have access to pleasure. No, but we want to have the wisdom with it. Meet pleasure knowing that it's ephemeral. It's in its nature to appear and disappear, you know. And sometimes we can make it appear. We have this capacity to, you know, open the fridge door and grab the ice cream <laughs> and make pleasantness appear in the mouth you know? but still it's going to be just passing through you know? and so attention to the body and attention to the particular aspect of pleasantness and unpleasantness and not none not one and the other because that also usually creates a lot of a little confusion in us there's nothing happening there's nothing happening well meditator you might be experiencing peace but it has a little neutrality to it. <laughs> you, know, you want peace, but when you get it, you get a little agitated. <laughs> because you think something is wrong. You know? Well, peace is not that easy to hold. You know? <laughs> um, and so this area of pleasantness and unpleasantness. And then the Buddha talks about mind states. He says when the mind is expensive or vast or sky-like, be aware of this, know this. And when the mind is shrinked and tight and rigid, know this. And it's really interesting when you read this particular teaching, it doesn't say 
when your heart or mind is tight and rigid and like a rock, it shouldn't be like this. You should be ashamed of it. You should, you know. He says, no, be mindful of it. Know this. I find this very, very important instruction. He doesn't say get rid of it. He says, know that it's like this right now. Because he knows that the careful attention will be the way to uh, implement change. Like transformation. Transformation, not possible in a judgmental mind. Don't even try. If you mind, I don't want this, isn't it? I should be. Try to implement transformation in a field like this. Not a possibility. Transformation will happen in a more pliable mind, in a non-judgmental mind, non-judging, in a curious mind, in an accepting mind, in a in a in a resonating heart mind, in a mind that has that is able to feel. This is where change, transformation will happen. So if there's something that happens to you that you don't want to be like this anymore, you really don't want to be like this anymore, it's going to be really hard for transformation to happen. Transformation is going to happen if there is more sensitivity to what's happening. Important information, huh? I was really happy when I heard that. I was like, oh, okay, it's good to know. And so the Buddha is inviting us to be really uh, attentive to different mind states, the lightness, the heaviness, the, all the, diff- the curiosity, the interest, the disinterest, the connection, the numbness, the, all of these different manifestations of the mind can be an object of, uh, of our attention, worthy object of our attention and of course in that there will be the pleasantness the unpleasantness it, it's kind of part of it it's, you know so we can be aware of this things that we might not touch on but maybe it's good for me to name a little bit this weekend it might you might see it appear or in your practice you might develop interest for that there's also uh, an invitation to be aware of... Um, well, I talked about this as I started the talk of perception, how things appear, you know, how we understand reality or how things appear to be aware of this. That I appear like I'm way too old, way too young for this, way too this for that, you know, way too... Like how my image of myself transform or, or others or situation how it's because uh, by paying attention to this I might begin to s- begin to see the ephemeral and changing nature of perception you know the famous kind of uh, you walk in the woods at night and you see a snake and you get scared and you look a little closer you bring the flashlight on it and it reveals that it's a piece of wood you know that's kind of a mirage-like, this is perception. The Buddha said, oh, be aware of how things appear to you. Not be caught in it, not believe it. Be aware that, oh, this is how it appears right now. That's a kind of freedom you can gain there. Be aware of your intentions. I mean, I'm intending to take this thing. Be aware of the state of mind that is intending to take this. What is taking what is taking 
is it wisdom that is taking or it's you know greed that is taking be aware of your intention that's amazing you can clarify a lot of things for yourself avoid a lot of trouble for yourself and for others and then and I'll finish with this you can also be aware of the consciousness itself the knowing quality not its coloring its mood you know there's a consciousness there's something that is knowing in there I usually take this very personal you know, okay I'm not the emotions they pass through but I'm the one knowing them you know that's something that, that's something that we get really identified with we think it's mine and so the Buddha said you can take put particular attention on this you could see the mood of it oh the consciousness is kind of happy or playful right now or the mind the consciousness is down or you know heavy or some, something you know that's the mood of it but the knowing itself there's a knowing that is happening between behind every pair of eyes here there's a kind of a knowing And again, I often I'm identified, I think it's me in there, you know. And the Buddha said, pay per- particular attention to this. It's a subtle, objective attention. But you can become really aware of this and see how this is not something that you can control. Try to stop cognizing right now, being conscious. It's just a factor of life, of human life, of human nature. There's a knowing quality that is there. And the more we pay attention to this, there's many discoveries we can make, but maybe we'll discover that this consciousness, this thing that is there, this sometimes we say the witnessing, the observer, somehow it it can reveal itself as untouched by anything, it can it might be that you discover that there's a depression inside of you but the consciousness what observes it what knows it is not it it's something else that is mirror like it reflects things but is untouched by it like a mirror if you put it in front of something beautiful will reflect this beauty but it's not it it just reflects it if you put it in front of something dirty, it doesn't. It's not dirty. It just reflects the dirt, you know. And so you would maybe agree with me that it takes a, a refinement of attention to start to kind of tease out that aspect of reality that is mixed with the pleasantness, the mood, the sensations that knows these things. That's what reveals these things. It's kind of a. It has no form. That's why today at some point I was saying, maybe uh, see how your attention takes the form of the breath, takes the form of a sound, takes the form of the joy that you're feeling or ease, takes the, it takes different forms, but it's not, it's not it. It's, it meets it, it knows it. It's not exactly it. I think that's important stuff because maybe some of our freedom is there to know that, oh, what is happening is not what is being known is not exactly me it's being known but there's something in there that maybe is untouched 
totally in the middle of it, but because it's it's knowing, it's transparent, it's really hard, it's not possible to see it because it has no form. But it's what reveals everything else, what makes everything else known. Wow. Is that too esoterical or something? Because it's part of our experience. In some of tradition, they say it's, it's almost impossible to see. It's really hard to see because it's too much in your face. It's too simple, too, too much part of everything that we miss it. It's too ordinary is one of the description. Ordinary. So I'm not talking about something, I'm, you know, it's part of the ordinary, but not recognized. Through paying attention, this is the kind of stuff that can suddenly kind of stand out in some ways. Hmm. And the Buddha said, I would not talk about this if it was not possible to see this. It's because it's doable. And when you read the text, it's really interesting. It's not like, you know, for some people it takes a long time, a lifetime of practice, but for some people it's <coughs> almost immediate. Or, or it's, it's very surprising how it happens. Also when I hear the students talk, they say, I was dragging along, dragging along for days, you know, or for two days, and then suddenly I just took a break for a second by the river, and then, whoops, it just something appeared very clearly in between two meditations, you know? So we, kind of, we, we never know when this is uh, it's going to happen. There's a series of poems from nuns of the time of the Buddha. It's exquisite. Tara, Ga, Ta, or Tara, Ga. I always get mixed up. Bad teacher. But uh, in these poems, many of these poems are poems of awakening, of... Uh, uh, women's awakening it's delightful this they they'll say like practiced all day it was a very difficult day and at night as I was uh, blowing the wick of the lamp you know it just I understood deeply impermanence really deeply and my mind got free from that you know they they describe all kinds of little moments like this you know very amazing moment of the mind opening usually it's my sense of it is because there's been prior attention being given you know attention has been given again and again in a very generous way and at some point there's something that gets revealed in an unexpected way it's kind of accidental but we say it's accidental, but meditation makes you prone to accidents of this kind. You know. Three more minutes, so maybe I could finish with one little trick that might be useful for somebody in here. There's a book that I like a lot. I've read it in all kinds of directions, you know, in all ways, and it's all line. You know, there's many colors in there, and and it's uh, it's by a monk who did a very thorough study of a sh- of a discourse of the Buddha. And he, 
I mean, this, I don't know if it's 300 pages or what on on this discourse. It's like it goes point by point, word by word, and, and with great intelligence and a lot of scholarship, scholar, scholar. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so he, he tears it apart in all kinds of ways, and it's very fascinating read for for a meditator. And at the very end of the book, he says, "I would, uh, if I." Have had to do a kind of briefly summarize the discourse, which you know, there's three or four hundred pages of fine details. Said I would. This is how I would uh, briefly uh, summarize this, because when I read this, I was suddenly very attentive. I want to. I would use four letters. You might have heard me say that. Said I would go with K C K C. In this disc- that's the discourse where the Buddha says you can put your attention on the body and with the breath, with the sensations, with the postures. You can, you know, it's very thorough. And so he said at the end, KCKC, which would mean keep calmly knowing change. He said that would be the summary of what we have to do. Keep. This is the continuity, the secret of practice I talk about. Keep, don't give up. Don't abandon. The Buddha said, how did I cross the flood? The flood of the torrents of the mind and the torments of the mind. How did I cross the flood? By not pushing and by not halting, not abandoning. This is how I crossed the flood. Because when I was pushing, I would lose ground. And when I was halting, I would sink. I crossed by not pushing, not halting. So keep, with the right amount of effort, keep being attentive as you eat, as you go up the stairs. Keep calmly, that's the balance of mind, the equanimity. Calmly, as calmly as possible, knowing that's the mindfulness, being fully conscious of what's happening. Keep calmly knowing change because if you look at moods, pleasantness, unpleasantness, breath, sensations, senses, what you will end up noticing is change. Keep calmly knowing change. (laughs) That's it. So let's take just a moment to maybe keep calmly knowing change. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.